Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Most of you know we're finishing up our work in this lovely book called A Life of Being, Having, and Doing Enough of Wayne Mullers. And I want to share with you, I got a little bit of pushback a couple weeks ago. So uh, someone came up to me and said, well, all right, so you're talking about having enough, of really feeling that sense of life being uh, sufficient. Is that it? Really? Just enough? What about the promise of God's lavish abundance? What about that sense of really questing for, for just lavish and outrageous good? You know, why, why can't we be praying for Maserati cars and living in the White House? And do you know what I mean? It's like, so suddenly you're telling me this, this God of the science of mind persuasion uh, won't support us in like the best job ever or the biggest house ever? What's up with this? And I thought to myself, well, of course they're right in a sense. It isn't that God thinks small. It isn't that the universe doesn't have lavish abundance in it. But I think what my point has been this month, what really will make us happy? So often it isn't necessarily more stuff. Uh, I mean, there, there is an idea that if I'm really comfortable in the house I have, I ought to be twice as comfortable in a house twice as big. But, but I would put out to you that there, you know, that's one of those law of diminishing returns that at some place, some point, the house gets so big you don't want to clean it anymore, which perhaps our house is nearly at that stage anyway. And so my thought is, well, of course, whatever is in our heart to, to have or to do or to be, God is absolutely here to support us in that. And if, and if somehow I, I've missed the mark on that one, let me correct that. You know, you want that Maserati, we can, we can pray for it. Just know that they're really expensive when they go in the shop, <laughs> right? <laughs> just, just have that sense of, of if we're about acquiring more and doing more, that those things have some overhead that go with them. And let's make sure that that's part of the plan too. Let's make sure that what we do seek out in terms of abundance, whether it's in a material wealth or an abundance of friendship or whatever it is. Uh, for instance, uh, someone that I know has over 5,000 friends on Facebook. And I think to myself, well, if they're really friends, there isn't time for anything else. <laughs> right? I mean, so, so either they're not friends or that's a full-time job. <laughs> so, so, so again, even some of the things that we think, well, of course I would want more love. Of course I would want more friends. At some point, the overhead of doing a good job on our life, of being fully present for it, simply increases beyond our ability to handle it. So let me read a little bit from Wayne Muller. This is how he starts out this section of material. He says, what makes us happy? For several decades, researchers have probed this questions and their findings are intriguing. First, once people, and whether they're individuals, communities, or nations, once they have attained a certain level of security and comfort, so enough food, clothing, shelter, education, community, and so on, once they have achieved that, any increase, however large, in wealth or possessions has no significant impact whatsoever 
on their happiness. And the end notes in this chapter refer to like three or four different surveys that simply wealth beyond a sufficiency does not make us happier. That, that more stuff beyond making sure that our basic needs are met is no guarantee of happiness. In fact, it could be that the wanting more simply does little else but to make us want even more that there can become that sort of hungry heart syndrome where, where we're all about the wanting and the craving and it's really hard to really satisfy us. In fact, I kind of felt that on Thursday, literally, <laughs> right? Uh, did you experience to some degree on Thanksgiving when too much is just too much, right? I mean, I think Thanksgiving is always a, a good revelation on that stage that sometimes having more actually just starts feeling uncomfortable. Well, my theory is, my theory is that that works out more ways in our lives than we imagine. That it doesn't just stop that with food. That literally having too much stuff to take care of also at some point becomes uh, unwieldy and uncomfortable too. So what's this thing about balance then? Because I think that, well, isn't it true with all things, right? We need to have some balance in our life. It isn't that uh, a quest for the finer things in life is wrong. The question is, is that going to bring us happiness? And I, um, I put something in your programs uh, that some of you may recognize. It was done in, in 1943, and it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And if any of you had any classes in high school or college with the idea of uh, social science and sociology, probably this is something that may look a little bit familiar to you. But let me explain it. The idea is Maslow did a, a survey of thousands of people and what they really felt that they needed to do well in life. And he categorized them in this little bit of pyramid. And so you'll see at the bottom are some of our, our physiological needs. So we need air to breathe and water. We need uh, sleep and, and, and so on and so forth. Some of our basic physical needs. And then moving up the chart, the second one is for safety, right? We need to make sure that our homes and our bodies are safe and secure. And moving up further, there are the needs of love and belonging, of friendship, of up above that is a need for confidence and self-esteem, respect, and then on the top, the idea of morality, creativity, spontaneity. So these all make sense. These are all things that we, I think, naturally say, yeah, I need those things. He also said, and here's one of the, the things we're going to talk about more today. He also said that if our needs at the bottom of the pyramid are not satisfied, it's going to be very difficult for us to feel happy, to feel satisfied about the things on the top. So if we literally don't have a safe you know, drinking water, if we literally don't have enough food to, make, to eat, it's like, don't bother you know, friending me on Facebook. <laughs> I got other things to worry about, right? And, and, and we see this, don't we? In very poor countries, we'll see people leaving that country, leaving their families behind, which, which to us would seem like, well, why would I leave my family behind? If you don't have enough food to eat, right? That takes a higher priority, takes a higher need. Here it's portrayed on the bottom, but you, you could look at it this way in terms of what's most important. We will seek out food, even if we have to go a thousand miles, you know, by foot, if, if that's necessary, if there's literally not enough food to eat. 
Now, how does this pertain to what we're talking about today? I think that what Muller is saying when he talks about what will make us happy, I think sometimes we get confused in here. I think that sometimes we think that we're fulfilling a need and that by over-fulfilling it, that by getting more of it, by, by having uh, more, in, well, oh, well, actually, let me just use an example and I think it will help. Uh, so about 15 years ago, my cousin Maxine passed away and I was the executor of her estate. And uh, after making the memorial arrangements and whatever, I went over to her house and was gonna have someone come by to appraise it and she had real specific things of what charity was gonna, she, she was single and, and lived her life single. And so, um, you know, proceeds from the house was going to go to charity. And I opened the door. Well, I tried to open the door and realized that here, a, a kind of a beloved second cousin that I'd known my whole life was a hoarder. She was born around 1910 and had gone through the Great Depression. And something about that experience of literally not having enough to eat as a child, of not having her safety, those things on the bottom of the chart, her safety was in danger, like where was the next meal going to come from, and literally not enough to eat, created in her a sort of impasse. And even though she had, I mean, my gosh, she had a master's degree, was well-known, earned a lot of money in her life, she collected everything. You could not, literally, there were not really even paths to get through her house. Uh, the paths had like this much newspaper stacked up. And so I went into her bedroom and was looking around, and, and it was a fairly large, nice bedroom, like any of us would envy, you know. It was maybe 15 by 18 feet, and you could just get to her bed. There was a path to her bed, and chests lined all the walls around the room. And you would open up a chest full of clothes that still had the tags on them. So one of the troubles, I think, with this Maslow hierarchy of needs, first of all, is that we can get stuck. We can somehow think that we will get what we need, that our desires for sufficiency or, or our inner desires will be fulfilled by collecting things at the bottom of the chart. Thinking that if we have more food, it will represent safety. It'll represent that sense of feeling enough, of that sense of being enough. But of course, I mean, of course we know that's not true, right? I mean, I mean, instinctively we know, but some people don't instinctively know. Some people really think that by collecting more, they will be safer. They will have a better feeling of who they are and the world around them. So the first thing we can do with Maslow's chart, which I think is interesting, is just a, a kind of a check-in. Like, how am I doing? Are there places in my life where I tend to maybe collect a bit too much stuff? And if so, are there other needs maybe further up in the chart that I'm trying to compensate for? Are there some, some uh, needs uh, around self-esteem or confidence or respect that I'm maybe trying to fulfill by right? By, by down at the lower level. And I'll, I'll use another example here. Um, actually, uh, we'll do our joke for today. <laughs> so the woman entered the room, and with a knowing smile, she sank into the comfort of the plush chair in the corner. 
The handsome stranger turns to her, having sensed her approach. Locking his steely gray eyes on hers, he moves slowly towards her, his experienced gaze measuring her, hypnotizing her with murmurs of assurance. He sank to his knees before her and without a word smoothly released her from her constraining attire. His movements deliberate, confident in his ability to satisfy her. And satisfy her he did. (laughs) As joy and contentment washed over her, she met his steady gaze, tears of gratitude shining in her eyes, and he knew it would not be long long before she returned. Oh yes, this woman would want more shoes. But do you see why this is funny? I, well, I mean, it is funny, and I'm glad the kids were upstairs today, but, uh, but <laughs> I think this is a great example, right? Something very innocent. I know all kinds of men and women that have bizarrely large suit collections, right? What's that about? Could it be that the acquisition of something as trivial as shoes is making up for a feeling of not having something else that we desire? So one more example of of a friend of mine. I have a a dear friend that I've known for many, many, many years, and she was telling me uh, on the phone over Thanksgiving that she's thinking about going back to school again and getting her PhD, and so we're talking, and, you know, she's been in school in some ways her whole life. And I'm thinking, you know, at 55, really? <laughs> Do you really need to be back in school again? And so I asked her, you know, what, you know, what, other than she enjoys taking classes, but a PhD program is a little different than just taking classes. And so my question to her, really? Do you, you know, that's a lot of work. And she said, well, I can't help but thinking that this will, will help me uh, with my family. And I was kind of at a loss, because I'm thinking, well, it's going to take you away from your family, dear. You're going to have courses and, you know, writing a book or a thesis or something. And she said, well, I really always had the feeling that my father just thought I wasn't really useful. And he really can't say that if there's a PhD after the end of my name. Oh, my gosh. So we talked some. Is her father ever going to have great accolades of confidence and and the feeling that she's successful? She's already successful. She has two master's degrees. She owns her own business. She is well off in the world. Do you see how we can use one level of our needs? She's thinking she can go out and acquire through the, well, I mean, hard work, yes, but acquire through getting a doctorate degree, the esteem of her parents. This is not going to happen. I think it's very easy for us to get confused on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think probably all of us could benefit from taking a look at it and understanding what truly are our needs. Because I think once our lower level needs are met, we can just completely ignore the food pantry. Right? 
My mom, when she passed away, she was not a hoarder, but she lived through the Great Depression as well. And I got to tell you, there was at least six months worth of food in her pantry. At all given times, she could have thrown a party for 40 people. <laughs> so what little thing in us maybe having us reaching for more stuff when really what we want are things further up on the list? Maybe it's more love that we want. All right, awkward segue. Any Black Friday shoppers here? I know, I know you're ashamed to raise your hand. Go, all right, one brave woman, all right. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> so what's the Black Friday uh, thing about? Well, I think it's about people who are insecure a bit in their relationship with friends and family, hoping to overcompensate with presents they'll get them at a good price. <laughs> now, feel free to shoot me down here. I'm, I'm more than willing to get some pushback later. But what your friends and family want are you, right? <laughs> so I'll, I'll do one more uh, divulging of, of our Christmas tree when I was growing up. Do you know what there was consistently more under our Christmas tree wrapped up as presents more than anything else? Cartons of cigarettes and Jim Beam whiskey. <laughs> right? Now, does that say love to you? Well, of course not. It's crazy, right? When we give, it should be an expression of the love that we have between people. And so, so, of course, I mean, I give Christmas presents too. Don't get me wrong. There isn't anything wrong with giving Christmas presents. In fact, I'm, I'm giving some lovely ones this year. But it doesn't take the place of the true gift of me. That's what people need and want. That's, it, it's my love. It's my authenticity. And so, so, you know, the frenzy of Black Friday, I'm thinking... Back to the reading that we just did. Are these things going to make people happy? Maybe for a few minutes, right? I still remember, too, when I was a kid, 10 years old, and the Christmas tree had so many toys and things for me. And I still remember one year, my grandfather was really angry because my parents had given each other a dishwasher for Christmas, and the box that it came in was my favorite present that year, <laughs> right? It's like, it's not about how much things cost. It's not about the gift. It's the delight that we share with each other. It's really understanding what will make people happy. And very seldom is it a thing. Very seldom. That's why I think nowadays so many people give pictures to friends to remind them of good times. They'll, they'll give them uh, events together, right? Tickets to go to, you know, a, a movie or, or, or a show or something. It's because it's that about being together. It's the gift of, of true friendship. It's the gift of, of using one another's time together in some lovely and meaningful way. So it's, you know, it's saving up for a vacation together or it's doing some of that special stuff that says, what does it say? I love you. You're important to me, right? And I know my grandma tried desperately with those sweaters, but the <laughs> truth is I loved her anyway. It didn't matter whether I got those sweaters. So what is sufficient? I want to go back once again to that idea of sufficiency, because I think Maslow has it right. Once our basic needs are satisfied, further 
evidence of whatever it is, whether it's more food or more stuff, whether it's uh, even a further up on the chart, whether it's more friends, they do not make us happy once we already have a sufficiency of them. And so as you're beginning this, what for some people is kind of a, a ramp up of parties, a, a ramp up of buying things, a ramp up of celebrations with family, let us begin to really think about this idea of sufficiency. And if someone's needs are already met, giving them more of that, treating them to a surplus of that, give that some thought. What is it that they might really want? Is it maybe a class that would appear? So let's look further up in this hierarchy of needs, right? Let's, because uh, I think, okay, well, and here's another question, and don't, don't raise your hands here, but because it's just a guess on my part. I bet everyone here pretty much has the bottom two layers covered already. Now, there may be a few people in that orange zone that, are, uh, that have maybe a, a few security issues or safety issues. I understand that. But I would bet for the most part, we've got the bottom two levels covered pretty well. And even the third level, the idea of love and belonging with uh, friendship, family, and sexual intimacy, I bet a good portion of us have those covered as well. But what about the upper two? See, I think this is where a spiritual, actually all three of the top ones, I think a spiritual community here exists in many ways to help with that, right? We can help with relationships. We can be that community that provides uh, friendship and family. We can help people with self-esteem and confidence. We can know and respect one another and help build that up. That's ideally in many ways why a center like this exists. So as you're thinking about what you're giving friends and family, as you're thinking about your holidays coming up, let's work on the top part of this chart. How can we be and do and cultivate these things in ourselves, both as a, as a community and individuals? And how can you help with some of these things with your friends and family? So, so rather than a, a toy for a child, maybe some kind of an experience that would help bolster self-esteem. Do you, do you see the difference here? Do you see how we can target in some of our gift giving, some of our own personal experiences in ways that will really be what people will want, that will, that will allow them to feel more self-sufficient and self-satisfied. Okay, so to finish off the idea of the pushback I had earlier in the week, of course a Maserati would be a lovely thing, and of course we can pray about it. And love and friendship might even be something better. You know, what? whenever you find yourself hungering over the newest thing, in fact, uh, my partner Daniel, we ended up going to Costco, not on Black Friday, I can't even imagine, but, but a couple of weeks ago, and they already had all of their Christmas television sets out, right? And of course, I'm just taking the cart, and I'm like, where did Daniel go? <laughs> and I look over, and he's like mesmerized. <laughs> oh my God, they have the 70-some-inch OLED something with the, the hertz that comes out, right? And, you know, he's transfigured. And so I ask him, so what, you know, what does that represent to you? And he says, bliss. <laughs> and I said, really? It's like our TV isn't even that old. And he said, oh, I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
But whenever we find ourselves really attracted to something out there, just ask yourself the question, what does it represent? What would it really bring us if we had that thing or that experience? Is it something that would last? Is it something that would buoy you up and have you feeling exhilarating for a long time? Or is it more the, the new car smells good for three, three weeks and then not so much, right? So give it a thought. Have some fun this holiday season as you're picking out gifts, as you're treating yourself to things in the world. Are they things that will make you happy? Are they things that are going to provide you self-satisfaction? Some of those things further up on the chart, now that our, our things on the bottom of the chart are mostly already realized. All right, I'm going to close with a, a final prayer from, uh, or a final reading from this book and a prayer. Being present with ourselves and making choices from our own quiet wisdom, finding sanctuary deep within us, it gives birth to the beginner's life. We're on a path created by our every moment as we walk in it. All we do is set the course of our heart's desire by the star of our own choosing, certain that we will change our course a thousand times before ever reaching that distant shore, the dream of our soul. A life of enough is born in every minute. In the way we listen, the way we respond to the world, the way we see what is and tell the truth of who we are and what we really need. Every single choice, every single moment, every change of course can bring us closer to a life of peace, contentment, authenticity, and easy sufficiency. Truly a life of being, having, and doing enough. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life. It is this thing that I call God or spirit. And what I know about it is, well, yes, it's infinite. It has all the luxury in the universe because it is the universe. And I accept that in my own heart. I know that I have available to me all that I could ever need or use or want. And more fundamentally, I inquire into my own heart and I recognize what makes me happy. Is it the stuff of life, or is it the life of life? And so for my own part on this day, I, I claim that inner knowledge telling me that it is about love, it is about sufficiency, it is about that joy of being with friends and family, it's that, that joy of intriguing myself and being creative. It is those things on the upper part of that chart for now easily resting in the comfort already acquired on the lower levels. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has that capability of inward knowledge, of knowing truly what might make us happy, both us and our friends and our family. And as we embark upon this holiday season, I know that that, that awareness of self and others is in full force, allowing us to create true happiness not just based on stuff and things, but that happiness of the heart and soul. And so I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful always in, uh, in particles of God showing up every week as the very hearts and hands of the people in this room. Truly, God as the divine showing up as this congregation. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer. I release it into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today.
so glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.